Last week, uh, we were talking about uh, Philippians chapter 4. We kind of covered uh, verses 10 through 13 and with an emphasis on verses 11 through 13. And verse 13 in particular is just one of those classic verses that everybody seems to know and it's used in uh, various inappropriate ways and various good ways, uh, but it's just a great verse. And, you know, Paul, through that verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, is trying to encourage us as believers to, to really just refocus our lives. And this isn't, you know, he's not saying, hey, um, use this as a pep talk for yourself so you can go do great things. But he's, he's reminding the Christians, you know, that, that life is difficult. Sometimes you'll have a lot, sometimes you won't, sometimes you'll um, be in need, sometimes you'll be able to give to others, sometimes bad things will happen, sometimes you'll be healthy, sometimes you'll be sick. There's all kinds of things that go on in this life, and, and the key to contentment in this life is to see Christ as your strength in any and every situation. So you can do all things, whatever life throws at you through Christ. And that's, that's really the key. It's not, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest and Jesus is going to help me. Joe's shaking his head. I'm shaking my head. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and it would be foolish of me to go out and try that and just think, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then I would fall in a crevasse. And that's the last you hear of Ryan Peterson. And it's not that God's word failed. It's that I took it the wrong way. <laughs> I was dumb. Well, we're moving on from there. And it's interesting that those, those verses and all that about, um, you know, Paul trying to get the Philippians to focus on, on Christ as their uh, sustaining factor in life. All of that is in the midst of this situation where the Philippians have given Paul a gift to help sustain him in his ministry. And so that's what we're going to focus in on today is this gift that the Philippians have given to Paul and just uh, Paul's reaction to that gift. And uh, hopefully it's going to be an example uh, to us of how we should live our lives and how generous we should be in our lives. Let's go ahead and let's read these verses and then get into it. So let's start in verse 10 even though we've already covered some of this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable, 
and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as your body to look at your word, to read it. And Lord, we pray that we would understand that you would use your spirit in our hearts and in our minds to comprehend uh, the significance of this passage and to be able to apply it in our daily lives, in the way that we think about interacting with other believers and other people in general. And Lord, we pray that um, you would just uh, transform us through your word and through the power of your spirit in us who indwells us. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity and I pray that you would speak clearly uh, through me and we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in these verses, we have a, a couple of things going on. Um, but before we get to that, I want you to think, what is the hardest thing you've done in your life? It's always hard when somebody asks the hardest because then you get these things and then you go categorizing and, well, is this the hardest or was that the hardest? I don't know. Um, but what's something really difficult that you've done? Can you think of something? I can think of a few things. I'm tempted when I have that question asked to me or when I think of that, I'm tempted to, to think of like a moment or a, a thing that I did because that was the question. What's one of the hardest things that you've done? I'm tempted to look at just a, a moment in time. But really, I don't know about you, but I know for me, the hardest things in my life aren't necessarily those moment in time type things, but it's the ongoing. It's the consistent walk of a Christian. That is hard. Um, and every day you are challenged in your walk as a Christian. And some days you'll have those like big events that come up and uh, you know, whatever it is. And by the grace of God, you will, you know, walk through that event uh, in a good way. And that can be a significant accomplishment. And that's awesome. That's great. I mean, God loves it when that happens. But one of the hardest things is not those, those specific events, but just the consistent Christian life. Would you agree? And... What Paul is, uh, is dealing with here with the Philippians in these verses is one of those uh, consistent kind of daily things that we should be reminding ourselves over and over and over and over again. And really the, the thing that I want to kind of hone in here on is the, the Philippians giving attitude. They were givers. They were supporters. They helped Paul in his ministry. And it wasn't 
just a one-time thing. There were the one-time things, but it was more than that. It was a consistent, constant uh, care for Paul that he experienced from the Philippians. And it was evidenced in those one-time gifts, those one-time things that they could do. But there was an overall joy that the Philippians had in participating in Paul's ministry by supporting him financially, by supporting him spiritually. And it was just their relationship is a good model for us because we here in Edgewood, as the body of Christ, can have those same types of supportive relationships with one another, with the church itself, with different missionaries that we support. We can have those caring, giving relationships. And that is something that God calls us to. And it's a constant thing that should be an evidence of our walk with Christ. Are we giving people? Are we caring people? That's harder sometimes than a specific test at a specific time. To have your life characterized by caring and by giving. Now, why do I say all this? Well, let's look again and remember what's going on here. If you look at verse 10, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, if you remember the situation, Paul's in prison. Uh, the Philippians have been trying to keep track of where is he? Is he, you know, does he have needs? Does he, uh, does he have plenty? Does he just need our prayer support? What does he need? They're trying to keep track of Paul. And they finally, he's in Rome. He's uh, under house arrest. And they've tracked him down. And they, they know of his situation. And so what do they do? Well, they send help. And they send help in the form of a guy named Epaphroditus. And he comes to Paul to give him support and encouragement. And he brings with him a gift that the Philippians had, uh, had sent. Um, most likely there was some money. It could have been material goods. It could have been a lot of things. But Epaphroditus was the, the bearer of this gift from the Philippians. And so that is what um, he is talking about here in verse 10 when he says, and now at length you have revived your concern for me. Now here's the key. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. When Paul is saying, you were indeed concerned for me, that's that constant concern, that constant care that Paul is trying to point out in the Philippians. And he's saying, look, I know that you guys have been and are concerned about me. You just haven't had opportunity because you haven't known where I was, what my need was, and that kind of stuff. But as soon as you figured it out, you proved that you have been concerned for me by sending Epaphroditus and by sending a gift with him. So the proof of their care and the proof of their concern and their giving attitude towards Paul was the fact that as soon as they figured out, they sent Epaphroditus. That makes sense? Then we have this kind of interlude with verses uh, 11 through 13 where Paul is uh, redirecting their focus to say, 
you know, I am so appreciative of your physical gift and your caring, your concern, but realize that there's more to um, getting through tough circumstances than just having other people's care and concern in their actual gifts given to you. There's more to it. You actually get through circumstances by focusing on Christ. And whatever circumstance you find yourself in, if you're focused on him, then you can be content. Okay, now back to what I was talking about with Epaphroditus and the gift. Verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Pause there. So the life of Paul, he was a, a traveler. He went from city to city. His normal process was to find the synagogue in the city that he was in. He would start talking to the Jews um, if and when the Jews rejected him. Then he went out and he started talking to the Gentiles and talking about the gospel, talking about Jesus Christ. And in some cities, he, he was accepted. And there was, a, there was a great number of people that uh, came to know the Lord and, and were saved. In other cities, not so much. He was pretty much shunned in the synagogue. And then uh, when he went out to the Gentiles, they went after him big time and persecuted him and threw him in jail or whatever. Um, Philippi was one of those cities where he ended up in jail. But regardless of that, he had this relationship with the people that did uh, listen to his message that was um, really uh, an incredible relationship. He found this uh, lady named Lydia, and she took real good care of him. She made sure that he had everything that he needed. And the interesting thing was that uh, even as he moved on to the next place, that care and concern and, and just practical giving uh, went with Paul. If you turn back to Acts uh, chapter 16, that talks about how Paul uh, leaves Philippi. And then in Acts chapter 17, it talks about the next place that he went, which was uh, Thessalonica. And in Acts 17, 1 through 13, we get a picture of the Thessalonians. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, 
And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So these people in uh, Thessalonica, not real friendly to what Paul uh, had to say or was trying to do. And we see here in Philippians when he says, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So here's, you know, what happened, Paul had established a relationship with the Philippian church. He moves on to Thessalonica. And basically, you know, you have the Jews there who, who create a big deal, uh, a lot of trouble for Paul. And not only do they create a lot of trouble for him in Thessalonica, but then when he moves on to Berea and is talking to people and they're receiving his message, the Thessalonians find out about it and they travel down to Berea and they make trouble there. And Paul eventually has to move on. So these Thessalonians were, were not real nice people. But despite the trouble that they were causing. And despite the, uh, the difficulties and the obstacles that these Thessalonians were making. The church of Philippi was sending Paul need all during that time. At least twice. Um, you see there that it says, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. That's one time and again. So at least twice. And the wording there is, is a little bit confusing, but it's, it's at least a few times they sent him need when he was in Thessalonica. And that's just an example of what they were doing. And it continued the rest of Paul's ministry. Uh, when he is talking in verse 15, uh, when he says, uh, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, uh, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. The beginning of the gospel, he's just, I think, referring to the beginning of the spread of the gospel throughout the world, really. And Paul was instrumental in that. You had Peter and the other disciples working in, uh, in Israel and Paul was the one who was, who was challenged by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so as the gospel was beginning to spread, one of the things that, that Paul draws out about the Philippians was that they were a church who was involved in the spreading of the gospel. And how did they get involved in the spreading of the gospel? It was in giving and receiving. They were sending gifts. They were sending support. They were sending people to help. So these were like uh, kind of the, the backbone or a really pivotal part of Paul's ministry was the Philippian church because they just sent the practical stuff that he needed to do ministry. Food, money, help. And 
Sometimes we, we forget that ministry needs that practical stuff. You know, if we're going to reach out to our community here, what do we need? Well, we need people, but we also need resources to send those people out, to have a program here at our church that, that reaches the community. It's just a practical aspect of the gospel and the spread of the gospel is that it's done by using resources. And one of the things that unfortunately we can forget about as Christians is that it's done by using your resources, my resources. And when I say resources, yes, I mean money. You know, the Philippians were a giving church. They gave to support Paul. And by implication, I, I, I would imagine that there were other ministries and other things that they uh, rallied behind and gave to support. That's Ryan's thought about the Philippians. It's not, you know, specified in the Bible, but they did it with Paul. I would imagine that they were that kind of a church. And so the challenge is for us to look at this and go, wow, you know, these Philippians, they were really generous. They gave. And they didn't just do it in, in an easy way, but they, you know, they were trying to keep track of Paul and, and send him stuff when he needed it, which was a pretty big feat. You know, sometimes Carly and I forget to bring the checkbook to church and we're like, oh, darn, you know, but we're here next week and we can do it. And it's, it's pretty easy for us to give to this ministry. You know, can you imagine if you had to um, track somebody down practically across the world and they were constantly moving and, you know, you had no idea what their real need was? Like, that's a significant thing to try and do. For us, it's pretty easy to give. Do we give? Do we have that generous attitude? Do we want to support the ministry and the ministries that are going on here? You know, this is some of the application that, that we can see here from looking at the Philippians. Verse 17 is, is crucial here. Paul, again, takes kind of a time out because he's talking to the Philippians and he's, he's praising them for their support of him, for their giving attitude, but then we get to verse 17 and he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You catch what he's saying? He, he's telling them the Philippians how grateful he is for their support. But then he, he pauses and he goes, but I want you guys to remember that I'm not just saying this so that I'll get more money. I'm not just telling you thank you so that you're going to give me more stuff or send me more support. Like, I love the gift. I, awesome. But my real joy in all of this is not that I'm getting gifts, but I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. Meaning, the real joy in this is that I see you guys being faithful. And I see you guys having a, a heart that wants to give and wants to support and is motivated by love. And 
that's the real gift because that's something that can't be taken away. That's something that's going to last. If you think back to Matthew chapter 6, are we supposed to store up our treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy? No, probably not a good idea. Where are we supposed to store up our treasures? In heaven, right? And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, look, I'm receiving an earthly gift from you. And I'm appreciative for that. But the, my real great joy in this is that not only are you helping me, but in so doing and in showing your love and in having a giving attitude, you're storing up for yourself treasures in heaven that will never fade. And that's such an awesome thing. Like, keep going, Philippians. Keep doing that. That's awesome. And I'm sure Paul would have been happy too to say, look, you don't have to keep giving gifts to me. You could give them to this guy over here because he's doing really good things too. And again, the point wouldn't be, oh boy, the Philippian church is giving 30% of their budget to missions. Like that's not necessarily the point. The point is, are they loving? Are they giving? Are they following God's command to support one another, to encourage one another? Are they doing that in practical ways through giving? And if so, awesome. That's what we need to do. We need to be giving generous people. Some churches are able to do that 30%. Some people are able to give 30% of their income and their resources. Some are able actually to probably give like 80%. And some may be in a spot where Giving a dollar kind of hurts. But what's the important thing in any one of those situations? Is it the amount? Is it the percentage? I don't think so. It's the attitude, right? That's where Paul is really rejoicing in all of this. He loves the fact that Philippi is supporting him, but he's even happier because he's seeking the fruit that increases to their credit. There's a, a really horrible thing that happened to us all when sin entered into the world. Um, we became selfish. We became selfish in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that is shown over again in the Bible is that we show our selfishness by not giving or by hoarding things to ourselves and putting our hope and our trust in those things rather than in God. There's a lot of good examples in the Bible. One of I think the key examples in the Old Testament of this uh, giving attitude gone wrong is King Solomon. You guys are familiar with him? Really wise guy in a lot of ways. Really dumb guy in a lot of ways too. There's this interesting contrast when you read about the life of Solomon 
um, because he's the wisest guy in the world. And yet, he does some of the worst things in the world too. And if you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, there's this really interesting contrast between Deuteronomy chapter 17 and 1 Kings chapter 10. So turn to Deuteronomy 17, keep one finger in there, and then turn to 1 Kings chapter 10 and keep one finger in there. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 17 is talking about the king and it's interesting that Moses wrote this and this was before any kings of Israel even existed. But he says this, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers, you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Stop. Turn to First Kings chapter 10. Starting in verse 26, this is a description of Solomon. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore, the sh whatever. And Solomon's import of horses was from where? Egypt and Q. And the king's traders received them from Q at a price. And a chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh. And it goes on and on. And what is this? This is the exact opposite of what Moses said in Deuteronomy. He said, don't get horses from Egypt. What did Solomon do? He got horses from Egypt. He said, don't marry a lot of women. What did Solomon do? He married a lot of women. He said, don't collect, don't have an excess of silver and gold. And what does it say about Solomon? In his day, silver was as common as rocks. Walk outside, you can pick up a rock. In Solomon's day, that's how wealthy Israel was. It was common. I don't know, I imagine you like sweep your house and, oh man, there's silver again. Get it out of here. It's all over the place. So he did like the exact opposite of what Moses had said. And the real key here is that he was selfish and he lost sight of the fact that any 
wealth or gift from God should have been poured out into ministering to the nations around and spreading the glorious news of who God is. But he kept it. He made his own kingdom. And it was a glorious kingdom, according to worldly standards. But it was spiritually poor. And that's the tendency that we have as Christians, we want to create our own kingdoms, our own wealth, our own uh, palaces here on earth. We want to funnel a lot of you know, our, our money and our resources into things that make us great. But what's the problem with that? It's gone, right? You don't take it with you. So wouldn't it be better to be generous and to be giving and to create for yourself treasures and rewards that don't fade away. And you know what? You can really do that by your generosity, by your giving. That could be here through our church. That could be giving to missionaries. That could be a lot of things. It could be donating your time but are you generous? Do you give? Would you be one of those people who supports Paul, basically? It's a good question to ask. And in asking that, I'm not standing up here talking about this and going, well, you guys are stingy. Well, maybe you are, but... If you're feeling that, hopefully it's the Holy Spirit. Um, but, you know, we all deal with this. I'm stingy. When I play airsoft with the high schoolers, I don't want them to use my guns because they might break them. And it's a silly little thing. <laughs> but, you know, like, I wrestle with that. And when I go to give to something, there's always like, well, how much do I give? We wrestle with it. But here's the, the thing, give abundantly, give cheerfully towards the work of God. There's a, another interesting thing about Solomon. Uh, anybody know how long it took him to finish all the work on the temple that he built? Seven years, long time, you got it. Anybody know how long it took him to finish his house? 14 years. <laughs> You know, and, and I say that, again, just because where's the priority? The priority for Solomon was his own kingdom and his own might and his own splendor. He made an awesome temple, but it could have been more. And he could have directed those things, his resources, into better things than a house that took 14 years to complete and was a little bit more splendid than the temple. Am I saying you shouldn't have a nice house? No. If you have a nice house, that's awesome. But do you use that for God's glory? And is that your focus? Is that where you find your comfort and your everything in this nice house? If so, then you need to make a little change, have a little heart change.
So Paul received help from the Philippians, but the thing is he, he was excited about the gift, but he was more excited because here were people who were exemplifying a, a giving heart. Um, they were doing what Paul talked about back in chapter two. If you flip back a page, Paul says in chapter two, verse two, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That's what they were doing. And, and so he was overjoyed. And he said, awesome, you guys, you guys are getting this. Praise God. And praise God because that's something that can't be taken away from you. Verse 18, he goes on and he is just, you know, continuing to thank the Philippians. And he says, I've, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here again, he is, he's thanking the Philippians for their generosity. And he's just, again, turning it towards the fact that their giving is not just Paul receiving things, but it is an act of service and an act of worship to the Lord. When he talks about a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, he's turning their eyes from the fact that they wrote a $50 check to the fact that that act of writing that $50 check was an act of worship. And that is the important thing. The $50 check, the $500 check, the $5 check, and the $5 million check are acts of worship. Right? Give. Give what you can. Support how you can. The old, uh, in, in Luke 21, there's the classic story of the widow's might. And I won't turn there, but you know the story. Hopefully, there are a bunch of people giving to the temple, and then this widow comes in, and she basically puts in a few copper coins, a little bit of money. And what does Jesus say about her? He says, well, everybody else was giving out of their abundance. She gave out of her poverty, meaning she really needed those two little pieces of money, and yet she still gave. And I don't know about you, but, you know, I look at that again, and I think, Man, am I giving what I need, what I need? Or am I giving, well, let's see, I have this much excess, and so out of that much excess, I will give this amount. You know, it's like, hmm, kind of convicting. <laughs> but again, you know, what's the point? The point is give as an act of worship to God a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And verse 19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 
he sums this up by saying, you know, Philippians, you guys have supported me so well and I appreciate it so much. And I, I take joy in this because I see that you are doing this and as an act of worship to God. And you know what? Take confidence in that God whom you're serving because he'll supply every need. I mean, look at me. Yeah, I've had ups and downs. I, you know, I'm in jail right now, but I am fully supplied. All my needs are taken care of. I have support from you guys and from other Christians here. And what more can I ask for? And he's telling the Philippians, hey, God's going to do the same thing for you. You may find yourself in a hard spot like where you're not able to physically give towards me again because maybe you're under persecution now. Maybe the Romans are, you know, have their thumb on you guys. But you know what? Even in that, God will supply. He'll take care of you. You may lose some stuff, but you'll have your life. You'll have your faith. What more do you need? Again, realize I say that going, well, I need a lot more than that. <laughs> but if I really stop and think and, you know, understand what the Bible tells us about what we really need, I can go, hmm, yeah, I guess that, that really is, you know, all that I need, all that I would need. So then, man, thank you, Lord, for this awesome house that I have, the, my 1996 Toyota Corolla. You know, that's awesome. I got a car. A lot of people don't have cars. You know, and, and it fosters gratitude and thankfulness in you when, when you start to think like that. And you realize, God's going to supply all my needs. And that's what the world is constantly bombarding you and saying, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. And the needs of the world are not the same as the needs that God says we need. And we need to realize that. So, we have this example of the Philippians. They, they gave, they supported uh, Paul in his ministry. And, you know, really coming away from this, what, what can we take away? Well, it's just that, you know, are we, are we giving? Are we caring like the Philippians are? You know, do we take joy in being able to, to support others in their ministries? Do we take joy you know, when the, when the offering bag goes around, is it, uh, I have to do this? Or is it like, ah, sweet, you know, I get to give towards the Lord. And that maybe seems kind of foreign, but that's, that's an opportunity that we have to worship God through our giving. Here in this local church, missionaries, ministries, all sorts of things that we can give and support and do it. You'll find that when you give, you're much more thankful for what you have. When you give, you start to see that God will supply all of your needs, just like he supplies all of the needs for everybody else. It changes your focus and your attitude. And that's what it's meant to do. All this said, Paul says, 
who are God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. And here's the thing, you know, we're not going to reach a place on this earth where ministries will be 100% funded. We're always going to have to give. It's always going to happen until Christ returns. When he does, everything is going to change. But until that time, we have this responsibility. And remember, in that responsibility to give, to be generous, all the glory for that is not, it's not about us. It's about God and his purposes and his gospel that is going forth. And are we partaking in that? Are we supporting that? Are we giving towards that? Because that's the great mission of all time. That the gospel would go forth. And if that happens, verse 29, Paul's again directing our attention. Look, all of this is done for our God and Father. And so that glory would be given to him forever and ever. Amen. That's the point. Give. Be generous. Be caring. So that glory goes to God. Well, that wraps up Philippians. I could talk a little bit about the last couple verses, but I'm not going to. You can read them on your own if you have questions. Talk to somebody about it. But I, I love how he, he ends this uh, book just with a reminder because throughout this book, he's been talking to the Philippians about um, the different ways that God has blessed us, the different things that he's doing in our lives. He's been challenging us to live as citizens, not of this world, but of a heavenly realm. And he wraps us up by just saying, hey, you know, Philippians, you guys are doing great. Keep going and keep supporting people like me. And I think that's an encouragement for us too, is, you know, all things considered in what Christ has done, in what he is doing for us, why would we not give to that cause, to that ministry? Why would we not want to support those who are spreading the gospel? Why would we want to set up for ourselves a kingdom here on earth when it's going to crumble, when we could be doing things that would last for all of eternity. That makes a lot more sense to me. I don't always do it. I know you guys don't always do it. But we should be striving for that. So to that end, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time to look into your word, and I thank you that You've given us this challenge to be selfless and to support your work, to support the gospel going forth. And we thank you for the example of the Philippians and of Epaphroditus and um, of them being faithful to, to give and to support Paul. I pray that we would have that same attitude, that we would take joy in in giving to your work, whether that's through uh, this church here or through uh, other things. Lord, it doesn't really matter. I just pray that we would be faithful in giving towards your work. 
so that ultimately your name would be glorified here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen.